Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're going to do the best business books of last year. Happy happy Friday the 13th, Ed. I know. Very paranoid. <laughs> Are you, did you ever do a, like a superstition thing? I was never really superstitious. No, I never, never kind of got into that, you know, no. with the black cat and the walking between the ladder and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. I think all that stuff was silly. So, yeah, I know Friday the 13th is just as good a Friday as anybody, uh, any other one. Well, this is one of my favorite shows, Ed, because you oh, and I clearly. read a lot of books and uh, <laughs> we also interview a lot of authors, mm -hmm. but we try not to select those books that we've interviewed on. That's yeah, well, kind I'm of breaking been, that tradition this year. I think so. I think so. <laughs> I think we have to, but, um, and I don't know, I think we started out doing the top 10 books when we, when we did our first solo best book show, but then we cut it down to five. So, well, I think we tried to do 10 and I think we did it together as a group. I don't, and then we, so what we did, I think we then separated out to five each. Five each. That, yeah. 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 As opposed to trying to do a combined list of the top 10. So, but. So I've got my top five, and um, I'm sure you have yours. But you've also said you have some quotes about books. So we always start out with one. So give me one. Okay. So the, this is this is one I, I, kind of humorous to start out. This is from Marcus Hers. Don't know who Marcus Hers is, but it's under humor. He's be careful about reading health books. Some fine day you'll die of a misprint. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the, I forget the comedian who said it, but I read somewhere that alcohol will, will kill you. So I stopped reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. All right. Well, I open, so I'll give you my, my number five. We're going to do these in reverse order, obviously. Right. Right. But my fifth best book of the year, it has mm -hmm. to be, has to be all about me. My, my remarkable life in show business by Mel Brooks. Yes. This book came out in 2021 and I had it in my anti-library for a year, obviously, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you, Ed, and, and it's a thick book. It's long. It's 500 something pages. I think I couldn't put it down. I didn't want to put it down. Mm -hmm. I, he, he took you from his childhood through everything he's done. And it was just amazing. And of course, if you're a fan of any of his work from, you know, or movies or Broadway plays, the producers, the the 12 chairs, which mm -hmm. I've never seen, I'm ashamed to say, but I'm going to watch that now because I'm really inspired to see it after hearing the story and where he shot it and how he did it. Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, silent movie. I mean, he he parodied, parodied every genre of movie mm -hmm. and um uh, and of course, I'm a huge Get Smart fan, so there's there's a chapter on that. 
I just, I absolutely love this book and I don't want to give any spoilers away. I, you, you'll learn a lot about Mel Brooks and his life and his legacy. I just, I just found it highly entertaining and I just think the guy's a genius. Well, he is. And, and Ron, let's in all fairness, most of our audience is not going to pick up this book and read it. So I, I, I'm going to ask you for one because we did talk about it and I would love for you to tell the brief story about the Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> Well, well, yeah, he did. Um, what was the movie he did that parodied the Alfred Hitchcock High Anxiety. Movies? High Anxiety. Which is one of my favorite uh, Brooks movies. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And it was shot in, in San Francisco at the Hyatt Regency soon after that hotel opened, you know, with the with the lobby and the elevators that you could see. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of an iconic um, mm-hmm. setting. But when, uh, and, and of course, he talked to everybody before he would parody a genre like he mm-hmm. talked to alfred hitchcock and and i forget who he talked to when he when he did uh blazing saddles i think it was john wayne um mm-hmm. because he wanted john wayne to be in that movie mm-hmm. um but he always kind of went after and tried to get their permission you know um and anyway he he struck up a friendship with alfred hitchcock to ask them you know what he thought about this because obviously all of his movies were being parodied in this in this movie high anxiety and when the movie opened, Hitchcock came to the opening at the, at the what is it, the Grunham Theater or whatever. Um, in, Chinese Theater, yep. Yep. And uh, Hitchcock, the movie ends, Hitchcock doesn't say a word. And Brooks is sitting where he can see him. Hitchcock just gets up and walks out of the theater. And, and Brooks thought, oh my God, I've offended them. You know, he's totally pissed off. And like, a, like I don't know. A, a month later or something, he comes into his office one day and there's this huge package from Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Brooks had become a, a wine collector mm-hmm. and, and um, Hitchcock sent him this, I don't know, unbelievable wine that was really valuable from like the forties somewhere in France. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, it, I forget the name of the wine, but, um, and, and he wrote him a handwritten note saying, you know, really enjoyed the movie. Great job. And it was a funny note, so I don't want to spoil it, but um, right. Uh, it, it just, it, Wow. I mean, and, and he's got stories like that throughout just, you know, the suits and um, the suits in the, the, uh, the studio wanted him to completely redo blazing saddles, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, you can't have, you can't punch a horse. You can't punch an old lady. You can't do this. You can't. And he'd sit there and he'd write down exactly what the suit was saying. Okay. Yeah. We'll remove that. Okay. We'll redo that. See, okay. Well, <laughs> the guy walks out and he crinkles up the paper and he throws it in the trash. He says, we have a hit. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 my my other favorite line from Brooks is when people say you couldn't make blazing saddles today, and his response is, "You couldn't make it then either." <laughs> yeah, so just, just an absolute genius. It, it, you will love this book. Yeah, yeah, I know he's he's a, he's a character, right? And just all of the people that he interacted with over the years. Oh, and for, I forgot, Spaceballs is another good one. Yeah, great movie there. And of course, he was married one. to. Uh, and Bancroft. Uh, and Bancroft, who did, uh, you know, uh, Mrs. Robinson, she played in The mm-hmm. Graduate. And he's got a great story about Dustin Hoffman, who he was trying to get to do one of his movies. And Dustin Hoffman said, well, but, I'm, but I've been offered this part in The Graduate. And Brooks said, you're working with my wife. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> you know, something that was really funny. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Well, good stuff, Ron. My number five book goes back to a show we did in February, and it's show 377, our interview with Muriel Schindler, and that is The Lost Cafe Schindler. Uh, just a terrific work, uh, and I learned so much about this, this family history, such a really good writer, um, and this personal journey of hers that she shared with us, and of course that interview is available. Uh, for those of you who want to go back and listen to it, but just some of the stuff that was in there that I, I don't that was just interesting to me and and the thoughts about economics. I don't know if it was anything that Muriel was f fully aware of when she was writing the book and certainly not to me, but the fact that the Austro-Hungarian Empire was pretty progressive for a monarchy at the time. I learned that didn't realize that that was thing you know a lot of Jewish families started to move into Austria-Hungary. Because of their their progressive nature, uh, the the her expo expose in a sense, and it's well again not intentional on the, the quote economics of the Third Reich is just makes it abundantly clear that they were anything but free market. This did confirm a prior that I had from written reading a book I think that was in my list three or four years ago, the Vampire Economy. Uh, and I, I just thought that it was absolutely fantastic the the the, the stories that she weaves and and uh, about her father who was in a way um, making up a lot of stuff, but there was always a kernel of truth to it. There was always something that oh yeah, there's a connection there. And and I think my favorite story in the book, of course, is is Hitler's mother's doctor, yes, um, who is a relative of hers. Uh, and, and, you know, that he, he got Hitler personally got this guy out of the third Reich. Yeah. If it wasn't just... for that relationship, he would have never been able to leave. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, that was a great book. It, it didn't make my top 10 ed, but it's probably number 11. Mm -hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And the other, the other thing that I, that I learned that made me go do some further investigation was the, what were they called? The glorious bastards. The, yeah, the inglorious the, bastards. The yeah. inglorious bastards. Yeah, um, the, the those guys were absolutely amazing, and mm -hmm. that documentary that she talks about, I we watched that, and uh, that's that in was, that's in the show notes of that show. Of, yeah, uh, it is, of, isn't it? Yep, for of three seventy seven. So if you just scroll down to the bottom of that, you'll see the uh, the link to that. Yeah, I did. I watched that as well. It's it's amazing. And the other great thing about that book was because it was her family. And she actually traveled to the town where the cafe was uh, just just the whole, you know, she had a deep personal interest in it. So it was just like she was writing about this multiple mm -hmm. generations of her family. And it was just really well researched. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of time. You could tell it was a labor of love. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, of course, we found out she, she's a lawyer, which is. <laughs> yeah. The, in a law firm that I gave a talk to. And she goes, Oh, you're the value pricing guy. Oh, my. She made the sign of the cross or something. I mean, it was like, <laughs> no, I don't want to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy no. stuff. All right. So, how should we do this? Should, should I give you my fourth so we'll alternate back and forth? Well, we're almost up against a break, but uh, go ahead. Well, I think we can we can start this can one. Start because it. It, yeah, we can we can definitely start this one. Uh, number four on my list again, another uh, guest of the show. This is back in June, uh, show number three ninety five. Father Robert Sirico, the ec economics of the parables. Couldn't leave this one off the list, Ron. Could not leave it off the list. I thoroughly enjoyed this book. 
Uh, he, he, again, just a fr friend of the show and uh, uh, proud to be able to say that, you know, met him so many times and, and, you know, he now recognizes, I think, both of us when we, we, we talk about him and, and he's uh, just, just, just a fun person. And of course, this work is something special. I mean, what I really liked about it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take the, we'll go to the break and maybe come back and talk a little bit more about it afterwards, is that he he wasn't doing what's called eisegesis, meaning trying to import meaning, economic meaning into the scriptures themselves. He wasn't trying to come up with any economic theory. Really what he was doing, and I think did an, an excellent job, was getting stuff out, getting stuff out, taking the, the, the scriptures themselves and, and pulling the stuff out. And I think that made a that was a was really was really fun to see and, and hear. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. I thought that I was stopped, but it seems like it was Ron that went out, so he is not with us. We're hoping to get him back. Um, I do want to just make a, a quick shout out to Geraldine Carter, who's the sponsor of this show. And uh, we, of course, her podcast is available at Business Strategy for CPAs at GeraldineCarter.com. So take a take a look at that when you can. Also remind you to rate this podcast at RateThisPodcast.com slash TSOE, where you can, of course, rate this podcast. And I just got a note from Josh, our producer, that Ron is on the phone. Welcome back, Ron. <laughs> hey, Ed. Sorry about that. My internet is out. Nice. I, I don't know if it's the storms around here. You know, we're still getting kind of pummeled. So I think that's uh -huh. it. I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, no, no worries. No worries at all. So uh, we, I, I thought it was me. So <laughs> Josh no, finally no, just I, went I, to yeah, commercial. I thought it was you too, but no, it turned out to be me and I'm still not connected. So I don't all know right. what's well, going we'll, on. 
Well, we're, we're, we're glad we have other technology, so uh, glad, glad to have you back. I, 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 we were talking about the economics of the parables and Father Sirico and, and how what I appreciated about the book was that he wasn't trying to impart a meaning and economic theory into the book so much as get an economic understanding of the, of the times and the parables themselves. And I thought that was a significant contribution to the book. Oh, I love that book. And in fact, it, it, it tied my fourth place but I knew you were going to pick it. So I picked another prior guest of okay. CSOE for my number four book, Okay, which is Wild Problems. A oh, guide man. To... See, that's perfect. That's my number three. So let's talk about this one then. Yes. I, you know, this uh, Wild Problems, A Guide to the Decisions that Define Us, Russ Roberts. And, of course, it came out last year. And, of course, we had Russ on uh, episode 2013. He's the host of Econ Talk, our absolutely favorite podcast. And I just love this book, Ed, you know, because he, he starts out by saying, what are wild problems? Well, there are big decisions in life we have to make that are full of uncertainty. Who to marry, have children, where to live, what career choice. And contrast those to tame problems, which can be usually made more easily with a traditional cost-benefit analysis. And I just loved how he went through this, and it just it buttresses up against so much of our work about, you know, the most important things in life can't be measured, and how mm-hmm. measurements alone can steer us wrong, but give us certainty of knowledge and precision and all of that. And he just does a fantastic job of debunking, you know, numerical quantification on some of these things that really you can't quantify. Yes. And, and the, well, the fact that he opens up with, with the, the, the oft misquoted Lord Kelvin, what you cannot measure, your, or when you cannot measure, your knowledge is meager and unsatisfactory. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which right. I think is the whole origin of this, what you can't measure, you can't manage situation. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I mean, that Kelvin statement is so funny because I use that quote in my Measure What Matters book as well. And mm-hmm. the thing about it is, you can't measure that statement. <laughs> no, you can't. And and I love how he you know he went into Charles Darwin's diary and saw Darwin's list of pros and cons of getting married, and I have to yes. say that 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 analysis was really entertaining, pretty funny too. It, some of the entries he made, but he ended up he did get married. And the other thing I really enjoyed about the book was he takes down utilitarianism as well. And, you know, Dickens was a big um, a critic of utilitarianism, and that's why he wrote the book Hard Times and created the character Gradgrind, Mr. Gradgrind, mm-hmm. because he, he, he did everything based on cost-benefit analysis, even whether his daughter should marry so-and-so. He said, well, you've got to draw up a list of pros and cons. So, I don't know, maybe Dickens knew Darwin or something, but it was just a great character to illustrate the absurdity of trying to quantify everything. Yeah, and and just some some of the the really thing important things that he points out. You know, he he talks about Daniel Kahneman and thinking fast and slow. And this quote from that book, which I which I do like, whenever we can replace human judgment by a formula, at least we should consider it. But then, I, and this is where Russ is so insightful. He said, if we're not careful, we can forget the last four words and mistakenly feel that whenever we can replace judgment with a formula, we should do so. Right, right. And I, and I loved how he wants to replace, uh, you know, he wants to put flourishing, human flourishing is a better aim. And, and I also just, you know, since you're a word guy, I just love the term 
lexicographic, you know, yeah. which is means outside the model, right? Mm-hmm. Where you don't consider trade-offs, you just look what right versus wrong. So like, you know, should you return a wallet that you found on the street that you picked up when mm-hmm. nobody saw you, it had maybe $10,000 in it, should you return it? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, because do you want to be known as people who, who a person who returns a wallet? <laughs> right. You, you want to be loved, but you also want to be lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, some really, really great stuff in that. And, of course, the, the chapter on Bill Belichick is absolute classic. Uh, and, and what <laughs> I love that. That was a yeah, great well, – I, I had no idea that that was uh, – his strategy was more in, – in, uh, in the draft was more quantity over quality. That's right. So what, for those of you who don't and haven't read the book, and there's lots of spoilers here, sorry, but, but I know that many of you will not even pick this up. But his, his notion is, what Belichick, is that the reason why he, when he makes trades, he just gets lots and lots of draft picks. Because his, his theory is, is the, the, if I have a bigger denominator, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to come across more, more, more great players. It's just going to happen that way. And I think that's an absolutely really smart way to think about things. Sometimes you just need more chances, especially with something as, as, uh, as, as, why, as a wild problem as the NFL draft. Uh, mostly because, you know, you get these guys coming out of college, how many uh, guys who are Heisman Trophy winners flame out in the, their first year or two or never get anywhere right right i yeah i i found that to be absolutely fascinating and uh, does it work the same in baseball are there any teams that do have that same philosophy um not that i'm aware of not that i'm aware of but they, they in a lot of cases they're giving up draft picks for for other things so but it would be an interesting strategy to find out that if there's a team that has has traded for more draft picks no right right and and you know also he says look if they don't fit in they're they're out of here you know if they don't mm-hmm. fit into the culture they're not contributing he gets rid of them quick so mm-hmm. yeah pretty interesting all right well so now you've handled uh, my number three so I'm down to my last two so now you've got to give me your number three book okay I'll give you number three and that is fossil future and I love the subtitle because it's just it just grates on people but it's why global human flourishing requires more oil, coal, and natural gas, not less, mm-hmm. <laughs> by Alex Epstein. This book also came out last year. Now, I read Alex's first book on this topic, and I forget the date it came out, but it was The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, and he really updated uh, the science and, the, and and all the data, obviously. But it, it, he, he makes what I find, Ed, is just an absolutely irrefutable case for fossil fuels. He says, if we want 8 billion people on this planet to flourish, you know, we have to realize that fuel is a huge component of that. And he presents or posits three irrefutable principles. The first one is to factor in fossil fuels full benefits, not ignore them like most experts do, but you have to consider the benefits of them and then factor in fossil fuels climate mastery benefits. Yeah, climate is changing, but fossil fuels enable us to, you know, adapt to it. So things like, you know, heating and cooling and irrigation and things like that allow us to, you know, stave off some of the biggest disasters. So as we know, uh, uh, deaths from climate disasters have decreased by 98% in the last century. 
And this has mm-hmm. been documented by a whole bunch of people. Even even the uh, UN, you know, uh, admits this. So, and and his third irrefutable principle is you have to look at both fossil fuels negative and positive positive climate side effects with precision. So, you know, we we tend to ignore the the positive sides of fossil fuel, but like he says, you know, it, there's more deaths from cold than there is from from being warm. So there's that effect. There's also some other agricultural effects from more warming. So, you know, and I just I see the focus on the negative, but I never see the positive. And I just think of, you know, when you get up in the morning and you think of all the things that you encounter on a daily basis that are made from fossil fuels, it is staggering. Mm -hmm. It is staggering. We could not live without them. We just couldn't. Life would be just it would be terrible. So I just it's a great book. It's well well written. It's a little bit too long. He's he, he and repetitive, but it's such an important topic. I can tell why he wants to beat the dead horse because he wants to pound this in and you know, yeah, it's contrarian, but I think he's right. I agree. I think he, he makes some a great case. I, I, I didn't put it on my list because, quite frankly, I, I like you, thought it was a little bit too long, and I only got 70% of the way through. <laughs> so, yep, it's, so it's a slog. You have to kind of stick with it and be motivated, but I did like the way he laid it out, and I, and I like the fact that he's a philosopher. And mm-hmm. when he testified in front of Congress, Pelosi asked him what he did for a living, and he said, I'm a philosopher, and she goes, why are we talking to a philosopher about this? And he said, well, because we know how to think and we use logic, you know, and that's an underrated skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. And and, well, and what's so interesting about it too, and look, you're, 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 you're calling in on the phone because your internet went went down because of storms in California, which I don't know about you, but I kept here, keep hearing this is that this is tied to global warming. Um, But Correct me if I'm wrong, Juan. Weren't you guys in a drought? <laughs> yes. Yes, we were for years. In fact, the wine come, coming out of the drought was great. <laughs> so I and really then, enjoyed and didn't it. They blame, but, didn't they blame the drought on chlorine, too? Yes, they did. And the fires. And uh-huh. now, of course, we're being flooded everywhere. I think they're going to declare a national disaster. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, we're being flooded everywhere. And, yeah, it's, um, you know, the climate changes. I have no could doubt it, could, about that. Right? Could it? Could it? Could it? Could it be run that maybe this like cyclical, and now this is going to fill up the reservoirs, and, and Lake Mead <laughs> is going to go, you know, not back to to normal, but get, but but maybe even go greater than where it was. I mean, it's, this is just in, seems to be crazy to me. Yeah, it is. It is very crazy. So yeah, but I I did enjoy the book, and if you want a contrarian view on fossil fuels and all their benefits. Um, that Alex Epstein is is um, is really good, very thought provoking. Well, the one the, the one fact that I I have taken out of this book, and I've seen it elsewhere, but he's the one who really just drives the point home is that you know it it, it was a, a twenty five years ago we we relied on the fossil fuels for eighty three percent of of our our um, energy needs, and in all that's happened in the last twenty five years, it's now down to eighty two percent. Right, right. After all the subsidies and all. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so and, and it's like, not uh, to say that we can't. It's not impossible. I don't think it's impossible that we'll be able to move away from them with other forms of energy. But yeah. until you know, what do you do in the meantime? 
And right. what we do, in the, just walk into any hospital, the MRI machine, all the, all the tubes in people's arms, the, those are all petroleum products. Right. <laughs> and not yeah. to mention how you run them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with that with that power, it 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 is it, it's staggering when you think about it. And look, I, I think there's may, maybe some strides may, being being made in in uh, nuclear fusion, which would be great. But I, that's still, I think, at least commercially, ten to twenty years off. Uh, so again, what do we do in the meantime? Is your point? So, but Ron, um, you're probably not noticing this because you're on the phone. But we're up against our next break, so we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or myself by sending an email to ask tsoe at Vera sage.com the website is of course the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes well as previews to upcoming shows our patreon channel which is available at patreon.com slash tsoe is sponsored i mentioned earlier by geraldine but also by 90 minds you find a mind at 90 minds.com but right now a word from our sponsors Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't, because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 2022. And uh, I am on, have to be calling in from the phone, unfortunately, because my internet is completely down. So, Ed, my number two pick was by a guy named Arthur Brooks. Ah. <laughs> I'm sure you know that name because he used mm-hmm. to be Jonah's boss at the American yeah. Enterprise Institute when he was president of that organization. And the book is From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. And I tell you, I absolutely love this book. It almost was number one mm. for me. Okay. Uh, but th- th- this book is deeply uncomfortable. 
and absolutely profound. And he, he tackles what he calls the striver's curse. People who strive to be excellent at what they do often wind up finding their inevitable decline terrifying, their successes increasingly unsatisfying, and their relationships lacking. And he, he says, you know, but we can move from strength to strength, hence the title of the book. So he lays out an uncomfortable reality. He says, in practically every high-skilled profession, decline sets in sometime between one's late 30s and early 50s. It gets worse. The more accomplished one is at the peak of one's career, the more pronounced the decline seems once it has set in. And he says the probability of a major innovation at age 70 is approximately equal to what it was at age 20, about zero. Um, Wow. And he talks about entrepreneurs, enterprises backed with a $1 billion or more in venture capital, tend to cluster in the 20 to 34-year-old range. Only about 5% of founders are over 60. And he talks about this um, idea of of the British psychologist he he cites is a guy named Raymond Cattell, who in 1971 published uh, the paper Abilities, Their Structure, Growth, and Action. And he, and he posited two types of intelligence. The first is fluid intelligence, which he defined as the ability to reason, think flexibly, solve problems. Younger people are naturally the best innovators in raw new ideas. But the second type of intelligence was crystallized intelligence. This is defined as the ability to use a stock of knowledge learned, learned in the past, and it tends to increase with age through one's 40s, 50s, and 60s, and does not diminish until quite late in life, if at all. So when you are young, you have raw smarts. When you are old, you have wisdom. And when you're young, you can generate a lot of facts. And when you're old, you know what they mean and how to use them. And you're better at synthesizing. And that, that's basically what wisdom is, right? Synthesizing experience with rea- you know, uh, and, and reality and facts and other things. And I, I just, it, this, this is impossible to argue with. You mm-hmm. read this book, and he just lays out the case so logically, and you're reading it, and you're cringing as you're reading it. But you know it's true. Deep in, deep in your soul, you know this book is true. We, we, have, we, we do. We have cognitive decline as we age. There's, there's, it's just a fact of life. And so I really, I just, I loved how he summarized the book. He said, so let me summarize the whole book in seven words. <laughs> Use okay. things, love people, and worship the divine. And that's kind of how he summarized it. There's a lot more in this book, but um, I'll, I'll wait and get your reaction to that, because it, it's just profound. Yeah, no, I, I and I, this was not on my list at all. I did not read read this um, and perhaps should go on the list and, and certainly the anti-library and, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the the topic but of course this 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 uh seem, seems to to give further credence to the the work of Charles Murray and 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 the work that he did in human accomplishment as well right that's right and yep. so what what I want, want to ask you about with this is okay so he he he, he his Notion is that you can go from from one thing to the other. What is his recommendation first? Is there, did he make any recommendations for trying to stay sharp in even with inevitable decline? 
Yeah, he does. He 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 says he he identifies three forces holding you back going to your you know your second curve, the the second strength. Um, it's your addiction to work and success, your attachment to worldly rewards, and your fear of decline. Um, so he said to jump onto the second curve. Basically, he talks about develop your relationships, start your spiritual journey. So and and you know this is Arthur Brooks, so he's always going to talk about the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And embrace your weaknesses. Interesting. Just embrace them. Don't try and right. fight them you, because they can't be fought. They're just they're part of your cognitive decline. And just it, and, but realize you have other strengths at that age. You know, like you can still write. You can still coach people. You can still mentor. You can still make massive contributions, but they're just not the same as they are in your youth. You know, and obviously this is true in physical sports, right? Unless you're, unless you're Brady, unless you're Tom Brady. <laughs> um, but it just, uh, and I was thinking a lot about sports when he was, when he, when I was reading this, because, you know, what do these guys do after they have a, you know, great career in the baseball league or NFL? Well, they become coaches or they become mentors. They, they, they have a different set of skills now that they have to tap into. And I think he's right. A lot of people stay beyond their peak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but we have the Peter principle for a reason, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially those in, in the, that those type types of career to to do to do this. Of course, you know the the the, the weird thing is, is he's making writing this book and making a contribution <laughs> right right here. At, well, yeah, and, and, but that's what he's saying. He's 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 kind of synthesized all of this knowledge, and now mm-hmm. that he's got enough, he's old enough to reflect on it and and realize that yes, this happened to me. He's trying to help other people. I mean, I, this is one of those books like Wild Problems, like like our our last mm-hmm. choice that I wish I would have read in my twenties. Mm. You know, but you just never thought this way. You were just never exposed to to this type of thinking, and it's only when you become older. And you read more, you start to, you know, synthesize things differently, and and that's what this book forces you to do. I, I will say this is a profoundly uncomfortable book to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're above the age of forty, you are not going to like to read this book. But I think that is exactly why you need to read it, mm-hmm. because it it it'll give you a glimpse of your future and and what to do about it. Yep, good stuff. Well, curiously, Ron, my number two book is by two old guys. Okay. One's name, one's name is Paul Dunn. The other is Ron Baker. <laughs> and I only got the number two. You got, and yeah, sorry, you only got number two. You didn't get the number one book this year. <laughs> That's that book, of, of course, is, is your, your work, Time's Up. And uh, we, we've talked a lot about this stuff, but what, what I wanted to just spend a few minutes, because we, before we get to our number one in the, in the, in the final segment, which um, I'm now more convinced than ever that it's, it's going to be the same book, which is fine. Uh, so, and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have time to talk about that. But I wanted to talk to you with our audience a little bit about Paul Dunn's uh, section of the book and the contributions that he made in that book. And especially in lieu of the fact that you're, you know, just talking about, you know, somebody's older, Paul, Paul's still thinking, isn't he? Oh, Paul has got an incredible intellectual curiosity. 
Mm-hmm. I, he, he may read more books than I do in a year. I, I don't know. I've never kept score, but he's a, he's a deep, prolific reader, and he has the ability to synthesize things and, of course, using alliteration, which he loves, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to pass it on in a profound and uh, in a sticky way. He, he, he gives you sticky ideas that stick with you. you know, remember that book that we did at Verisage the, that talked about the sticky ideas, the Heath brothers? I forget the name oh, of right. the book. Mm-hmm. 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 But they talked about that concept of a sticky idea. Right. Paul Dunn is full of those. So when mm-hmm. he talks about, you know, not just leaving a legacy, but living a legacy, you know, things like that, uh, m- moving from, you know, uh, profits to purpose, uh, and just all the stuff that he talks about in those first seven chapters, I absolutely loved it. Uh, even mm-hmm. even when he even when he treaded into the ESG waters, and he he told me I'm doing this very carefully around you because I know how you <laughs> feel about it. <laughs> I thought he did a really good job. With you know, yeah. rewording re- 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 it to embed social good. Well, my, I think my favorite chapter of his is chapter five, and it's it's entitled "This Could Be the Most Important Business Question Ever." Mm-hmm. And it, it's just that series of questions, and you know, I love questions, so that so this was was terrific for me to to read. But he's got you know five 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 steps in the question, and I'll I'll, I'll just read them for our audience, and then get your reaction uh, to it as well. The first question is, and I love this: Is your business better off because you're in it? Right, isn't that a it, great question? <laughs> <laughs> and then, which which goes to the next level. Is your team better off because they're in it? And then are your customers better off as subscribers to your business? Right. Fourth question, is your community better off because your business is in it? And then finally, is our world better off because your business is in it? And I just love the progression that he leads you through in that chapter. So I, I, I want to get your thoughts on that, that, that syllogism. Yeah, no, I, I loved it too. I just thought it was absolutely profound and, I also think that you know this also breed, brings up the the point that you know a good leader is not measured by the number of followers they have, but how many leaders they produce. Mm-hmm. So sometimes recognizing that maybe I do need to step out of the business, you know, mm-hmm. and and turn it over to younger people and let them take it, take their turn at leading. Um, I don't think enough firms do that. You know, we talk about the aging demographic in this firm and how most people are uh, going to be eligible for retirement within 10 years, you know, something like two-thirds or three-quarters of the ICPA membership eligible for retirement. But, you know, but they're still in their firms. And mm-hmm. I do think to some extent that can block progress. So I, I think that's a valid question. Is my firm better because I'm in it? And yep. at some point you cross that threshold where the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And I think having wisdom is recognizing that fact and when to leave. And that's why I, I've always admired Andy Armanino because he stepped down. You know, he was in his 50s when he stepped down. He said it's mm-hmm. time for a younger group to, to rise up and lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, good for him. Well, the, I'll, leave, we'll leave, I'll leave you with this as a last quote from the book. And this is, of course, uh, Paul quoting John Berghoff at Exchange, he said, and I, I, I love quotes about questions, but this is, questions can change the future before the answers even arrive. Yes, I love that. Without a good question, an answer has nowhere to go, is what mm-hmm. is how Clayton Christensen put it. 
And uh, Ed, I know you're giving quotes on the book, so since since you you picked my book, which I didn't know you were going to do, let mm. me give you my quote that I wish I would have used in this book, maybe even as its epigraph. And okay. it was written by Russell Banks, who who was a, an American writer, and he said, "Go, my book, and help destroy the world as it is." <laughs> there you go. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, uh, we're up against our last break. Want to remind our, our our audience that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We have our archive page that has all of our shows going back all the way back to the, our origin of the show. And I can't believe it, Ron, 2014. We're about to come up uh, in two years, hopefully, on our 10th anniversary. We'll see if we get there. But right now, a word from our sponsors and our great, my, my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash time's up. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are doing our best books of 2022 episode. This is a tradition that we've had for the last oh, seven or eight years, Ron. Uh, last, last book quote. Well, maybe we'll do one in closing too, but this is from Jane Austen. She says, the person, be they gentleman or lady, who has not pleasure in a good novel must be intolerably stupid. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Good stuff. So Ron, here's the, he's going to be, what's your number one book of 2022? 
<laughs> Do we have a drum roll to make this official? Yeah, there oh, we go. Geez. Ed, it's got to be superabundance, uh, mm. the story of population growth, innovation, and human flourishing on an infinitely bountiful planet by Marion Tupi and Gail Pooley. We had both of these gentlemen on the show. In fact, Marion Tupi, we've had twice on the show. But mm-hmm. to talk about this book, it was episodes 409 and 418. And just first off, what an honor to talk to these guys and be able mm-hmm. to communicate to them that we believe they should win the Nobel Prize for this book, because I believe mm-hmm. they, they should do it. They should get that award. Absolutely. It's such a great contribution. And when it's it's a little bit challenging to explain to people, but once they connect with it, they're like, oh, and they they start to see it all over as well. And I found relatively little pushback once I explained the concept to people of time prices and how you can say, all right, well, if in you know 1850, it took you, I'm just making the number up, eight hours to earn enough to to uh, buy, buy one pound of sugar. And now it it today, it takes that same person, be, and again, they, they generally tend to use non-skilled workers as their base for this to keep it at that level as well. And now that it only takes them eight minutes to work uh, to, to earn enough to get that pound of sugar, then they're significantly better off because eight minutes is way less than eight hours to earn the same thing. And it completely eliminates the need for worrying about inflation. Uh, it has made me and in my life less worry less about inflation. And, and I talk to people about this all the time. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm not concerned anymore. I'm really not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. It takes away all the vagaries of money. You know, the perching purchasing power parity between different currencies, different countries, the exchange rate, uh, the GDP deflator, you know, and all the, all the issues with those measurements. And it just converts things into what we truly pay for. You know, if you really think about the economy, it's just one big barter economy. But, you know, I, I'm the, the barber's trading, you know, the number of haircuts for a chicken or, or whatever, and we are, we're all doing that in our own way. And this isn't the labor theory of value. This is just the facts. We're, we supply to be able to demand. So the real prices are time prices. And George Gilder, who wrote the foreword to this book, that's what he says. This is the single greatest breakthrough in 21st century economics, is the concept, comprehensive and creative translation of prices into time. Because time is a great measurement, because it's constant. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of scientific measurements are based on time. And just because you brought it up, Ed, I actually have the numbers here on that pound of sugar. Okay. In the USA in 1850, a pound of sugar was 17 cents, but it took two hours and 50 minutes to earn that 17 cents. Today, <laughs> it's six cents, but it's only 35 seconds to earn it. <laughs> How can you look at that and say, the world is not better off? And then, of course, they, they do this uh, across a whole bunch of commodities going back to 1850. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, resource abundance has been rising at a rate of 4% a year. Every 50 years, the real world economy has grown some sevenfold. And, and yet the time prices for everything we buy have dramatically decreased. So the population's growing, but... The time price that it takes to buy things is shrinking, and that's hence superabundance. 
Yeah. The, uh, again, from the forward by Gilder, Tupi and Puli provide a mountain of data that makes sustainability a picayune distraction of people without vision. <laughs> just, just absolutely. And, and you're right. That. This is very difficult to explain. But once, what I love about it is it's very simple math. So mm-hmm. once you show the equations, and then you give people examples like the sugar, and there's a whole bunch of other examples in there as well, mm-hmm. then people start to click. And, of course, they go through this hierarchy of these different measurements to get to superabundance. But it's so counterintuitive that the more people enter the world, the, the more abundant we become and the richer we become because we're able to purchase more in less time. And that is a way of measuring Gilder's insight that wealth is knowledge, but also that learning, you know, is, is where we get economic growth. Well, if you can buy twice as much as you were able to buy 50 years ago, then the economy's got to be twice as smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps the most amazing thing to me, and yes, it's 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 just packed full of data and and all of these this, these wonderful ideas. But when they when they turn their attention to China and say that 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 China is less well off because of the one child policy and because they're basically missing what a hundred million people. <laughs> I think it was four hundred. Um, four hundred million people. Four hundred million people that we would be we would be. Uh, I think they say. Uh, is it two two percent better off today if yep. they didn't? And, and you're just like that seems preposterous, absolutely preposterous. And and then in that chapter, they just go and prove it. And you're like, they just, there there it and, is, right before your eyes. And the other thing I just love is their concept of you know atoms, right? Uh, yes, the number of atoms in the universe is is fixed. It has been fixed since, you know, the caveman days, but how we, how we take those atoms and combine them is what really resources are all about. So the, the natural conclusion is there's no such thing as a natural resource. We're changing things all the time and making mm-hmm. new useful commodities and, and, and resources that we can use. And there's an infinite number of combinations. It's not finite. Mm-hmm. No, and 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 that's what where where I think it's it's just going to to continue to burst onto the scene, and why I think uh, they will win the Nobel Prize someday for this because the, this is going to continue to be proven. I I mean, unless something absolutely completely catastrophic and tragic happens, I, I can't see this this ending. This is just going to continue despite what we're seeing with inflation today. Yeah, and. I love the other illustration they give is, you know, if you think about a piano, how many songs are inside of a piano? I mean, after all, there's only 88 keys, right? But, right. but there's no songs in the piano. It's in the human mind. But that's exactly mm-hmm. the point. With those 88 keys, there's an infinite number of possibilities on music. And it's the same with our earth. There, there, is, no, there is no collapse of this stuff. It's just no. it's growing more abundant every year. Yeah, it, it's absolutely amazing. Well, I'll have to go back and see if this is the first time that we've both had the same number one book. I don't think it is. I think we have had the same number one book before. But but this this was a clear and obvious choice, I think, as far as, far as I'm concerned. Ron, uh, we are up against our, our break. When do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, we're going to have Chris Vanover from Audit Club, who went to a subscription model 
for his business, and I think he's got an incredibly innovative business, so I'm really looking forward to talking to him. Yep, I agree. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours then. Sounds good. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have full show notes on our book selections for the last year. Also, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Sawyer is more than an outdoor company. Every Sawyer product you buy contributes to our common humanity, bringing Sawyer water filtration systems to people in need all around the world. In just 2022 alone, 260,000 households in over 45 countries received clean drinking water through Sawyer filters. Over the past 10 years, we've teamed up with over 140 charities in 80 countries to provide long-term